Hey, can you do me a favor? Turn that light bulb on. There we go. That's perfect. Let's wake these people up. Hello, fellow listeners. So, this is my podcast, Food for Thought. That's food with the number four, thought. T-H-O-U-G-H-T. Now, I created this podcast and my purpose behind this podcast is because many times uh, I'm seeing constantly everywhere that there's this struggle. There's a struggle with the youth, adults, a problem more or less with society. Now, I'm not no social political engineer, nor am I a philosopher, nor am I one of the great massive thinkers of the world. But I do feel that many times there is beautiful dialogue happening within society that nobody ever hears. And maybe people are too scared to open up their thoughts to the world because as you can see the way society is going nowadays, you can't say a single word without being judged, without being criticized, without being put on Facebook, Instagram, to ridicule to the public world, society, who knows what. And you more or less in a way get bullied because of your thoughts. You're devalued for who you are. Somehow society says accept, accept, accept. But when you do put yourself out there, if you don't follow the norms in which society tells you to follow, you're not accepted. Interesting how that falls around. But the reason for this podcast is to have open dialogue. Now, today's podcast is just going to be me explaining a little bit of the purpose behind this. But I'm going to be having um, psychologists, uh, People hopefully with uh, intellect as far as nutrition, uh, the socials, uh, social political engineers, uh, great stories of backgrounds of maybe different uh, walks of life. Um, more than anything, uh, an open dialogue between people that I know that have great amount of intelligence within their subjects of what they do. So... My, my hope is to be able to enlighten you with the truth because truth be told, there's only one truth. Many people say, no, it's whatever truth you come about, but that's not true. There's only one truth within society. If I point to a patch of grass and that patch of grass is green and I say, that's green, there's only one truth and the truth is, is that patch of grass is green. If somebody looks at it and says, it's blue, well, that's what you can think, and I can think that it's brown, and someone else can think that it's purple for all we care. But the truth is that patch of grass is green. You look at the sky, same thing applies. You know, there's no changing what the reality of things are. So my hope is to be able to get the truth to you, be able to take you and move you towards a new direction. More than anything, I'm going to be trying through this podcast, try to hit two different groups of people. One of them being uh, the young minds in which our future is um, growing up in. So to be able to hopefully uh, put a little bit of knowledge into these young minds that maybe a lot of people don't know about. 
Second is going to be the adults, the parents. So more or less around the ages between, let's say, 30 to about 45 years old. Because this, these are the adults that are raising the youth that are going to be uh, the social constructs of the next generations to come. So uh, first of all, let me start with the youth. Now, um, the youth right now, if we look right now, there's uh, this word that's very big lately, and it's called the millennials. Now, the millennials, there's uh, three different things that I really want to hit uh, to hopefully kind of wake the consciousness of the people up a little bit. Now, the youth, the millennials, so if you are born from 1984 and on, Okay, because there's a little bit of a, a misconstrued thought there of what a millennial is. I constantly speak with people uh, to see what is a millennial. And now that I've kind of more or less looked and researched deeply what exactly a millennial is, a millennial is when you've hit young adulthood. So pretty much about 16 years old, which is young adulthood. Um, so if you've hit young adulthood in the year 2000 and on, you are considered a millennial. Now, uh, most millennials have three different things that society kind of more or less looks at, you know, because uh, people look at millennials, they think they're lazy, uh, that they feel entitled, that they're, um, they're stuck on technology, social media, they're dependent, they thrive off, off of these things. They look at them uh, like non-believers. Uh, they just go with the flow, whatever everything is, and no no thoughts of their own. But there's three different things that I really want to hit. Uh, one of them being entitlement. You know, another one being uh, technology, social media, and the third one being patience. Now, uh, these three things are the things that I feel that really represents millennials by the truth, you know. And, and if you look at this, if you're listening to this as a millennial, I invite you to open up your eyes, open your hearts to what I'm about to say because it may apply to you. Now, a millennial, one of them, entitlement. Now, entitlement, if we notice, millennials were born within this um, age of which they don't know how to lose. Now you think to yourself, well, I'm a good loser. If you look at the way things were, you know, from the 2000s and on, you know, more or less from the 90s to say to the 2000s, because this is when uh, millennials were growing up, they don't know how to lose. Number one, you see that uh, within this time when there would be, let's say, a soccer game and there would be 12 different teams, at the end of the season for that soccer game, they would give out trophies. And the people who would receive, these young kids who would receive these trophies, the first one would get a trophy, second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place, so and so on, all the way until the last team would receive a trophy. Now, this is a little bit of a endangerment to towards this entitlement because number one, the trophy, the, the number one trophy, Imagine, this young team looks over and says, well, 
my trophy doesn't mean anything because I worked hard. I busted my butt for what? So that I could get the same trophy that this one got. You know, so number one trophy feels devalued. And the last place, you know, they're rewarded, but they understand that they're rewarded more or less for being the worst team. So this um, this last place team is 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 understanding I'm being recognized for being horrible. So everybody from top all the way to the bottom gets a trophy. Now, if you notice closely, this creates a mentality of mediocrity because everyone more or less gets a trophy. So everybody says, I am content. Well, number one says, well, I got the same trophy that this guy's getting. So why work 20 times harder just to get the same exact trophy that last place got? I could have been horrible and gotten the same exact trophy. So what's the purpose? What's the need? You know? And last place goes, well, you know, I didn't have to work all that hard and I got the same outcome that number one got. So what do I got to do? Just continue. So in turn, everybody uh, is growing up in a world where let's be mediocre. There's no need to be great, the greats of society, because we were all raised with the mentality. And now, now, mind you, this is not just trophies. This is everything. We were raised with this thought of mediocrity. You know, well, everybody got the same thing. So it's okay to be mediocre. Society is rewarding me for being mediocre, for not trying my best. They're saying, good job. You did the worst out of all of us. And number one goes, I busted my butt and I didn't do anything. So you see how uh, this creates this sense of entitlement, you know? So when a child doesn't get what he wants, you know, uh, what is the first thing that he does? He says, well, I'm entitled to this, you know? I deserve this. I, I need this because you've given me everything. So why wouldn't I get this? So you see how these millennials, and, and if you notice, these millennials from about, let's say, late 80s all the way up until 2000s, right? And, and these are the millennials that we're seeing now. This is when this mentality began to happen because parents were getting frustrated and they were telling coaches and, 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 and the people who were controlling these leagues, they would tell them, my child is crying because first place got a trophy, second place got a little bit of a small trophy, and third place got at least a small trophy, and everybody else didn't get anything. So, of course, because these leagues could not accept, you know, and they couldn't bear to see the hurt of children, they said, all right, well, let's put trophies for everybody. So, you see, uh, society has raised this mentality of entitlement, of feeling like I deserve this. Notice how everybody, when you go to a job or you get something, some people don't even want to work at McDonald's. Why? Because they feel, I'm entitled to work a better job. You know, I'm entitled to get myself a good pay grade. Why should I have to uh, flip french fries or flip burgers or toss or who knows, toss salad? You know, I, me in a McDonald's suit? You know, this is this is how millennials look at this this type of job until they get to the point that they're so desperate. Then you see them working at a McDonald's job, you know, but they feel 
in some way, shape, or form that they deserve a better job, that they um, need this gratification instantaneously. No need to work hard. No need to bust their butt because I've, I've had this sense of entitlement all of my life. So you see how uh, millennials are more or less affected in this way, this sense of entitlement. Now, uh, an, my second part in all this is social media. I mean, this has become something just ridiculous to this point, social media. Now, hopefully I can explain this in a deep way for um, whoever is listening to be able to open up their eyes to how social media truly is. I don't even know where to start with this, but uh, social media is, is uh, I call it the way to be able to seek affection from society that maybe you have not received. You know, a lot of people say it's connection. Uh, a lot of people say that it's, you know, um, I, I can see my family. Uh, I can see uh, people who I've never talked to. But truth be told, you know, and many of you have had this experience where you speak to somebody on social media and you message and you look at them and you say, hey, what's up? And all these uh, thumbs up maybe go down. I don't even know how this works. To be honest with you, I don't even have Facebook, but I see the effects within society. But you see them getting uh, all these different likes, um, comments, and then you see this person in the mall or on the street, and yet you act like you've never, ever seen them before. You don't even wink. You don't even turn your head slightly to look at them. In fact, because you've made comments, because you haven't been able to speak with them, and you never had the courage to say what you really wanted to say, what's the first thing you do? You actually turn your head and hope that they don't see you. You know, So social media has begun to destroy um, the dialogue of the people and it's only starting I believe it's going to get so much worse you know uh, social media has gotten to the point that it's become like a drug now I mean many people say a drug are you kidding me what's a drug now many of you uh, I don't know if you know but uh, there's this uh, chemical inside of your brain called dopamine now Every time that a moment of excitement happens, dopamine is automatically kick-started right into your brain. I mean, it's shot up. Social media has become the same thing, and you see it all the time. Now, mind you, I'm an owner of a barbershop, so I got a waiting area filled with guys to the point that, I mean, they are sitting there throughout the whole haircut on social media. Now... Every time that, uh, going back to this dopamine, every time that you get a message, every time that somebody likes one of your pictures, every time somebody comments on one of your pictures, every time somebody wants to friend you, boom, a notification goes off on your phone. And what's the first thing you do? You get excited. And that excitement automatically shoots up dopamine right into your brain. So it's become like a drug. Now an alcoholic, a person who uses heroin, um, a person who, I don't know, is addicted to something, who knows what. Every time that they get this moment to have this alcohol 
within their system this moment of heroin it's it's like this shot of dopamine it's a drug that gets shot that gives you this excitement all over again and in turn creates an addiction and i'm positive many of you have had this experience where you're sitting there and you are waiting waiting for a text message and, and this is part of this social media slash technology you're waiting for a text message to come in why because uh, you're waiting for this rush of excitement you're waiting for somebody to come you're waiting for somebody to post something so you can laugh because you cannot stand to just think to just be alone to just uh, sit there to think you know um, so you see that this uh, social media has created this you know social media and technology has has begun this addiction I mean there's people who are sitting there at business meetings or who are sitting who knows where at church or who are sitting in the in the subways and you see them you see them looking at their phone now mind you a notification is supposed to go off immediately as soon as you get yourself a message or I don't know a like or a comment there's a notification that's supposed to come in so that cell phone will light up or vibrate once that notification comes in but yet you stare at it and you turn it on to see if anybody messaged you you know that nobody did because it didn't vibrate and it didn't turn on and it didn't make a sound or ping or who knows what but yet you still turn it on and you still look at it why because you're addicted you're addicted because you're waiting for this dopamine that and many people don't think about this consciously this is all happening in the subconscious of your mind you're waiting for this cell phone to make a noise to light up because you need this drug in your life you know and, and this has become one of the most dangerous things because uh you know, and, and people will sit there. You, you'll see people when they're, and many of you have had probably this experience also. You're sitting at home and you're bored. And what's the first thing you do? Since you have nobody to talk to, so you see, you can't, you can't bear to sit in silence to think of your life. You send, who knows, 10, 15 different text messages. Hey, what's up, John? Hey, what's up, Mary? Hey, what's up, Gloria? Hey, what's up, Jeff? Hey, what's up, uh, X, who knows what you're sending massive text messages out for what because you just need this moment of uh, of of excitement this moment of attention because to sit there in silence and think about life and this is this has become one of the most dangerous things now of social media and technology that we don't stop to think of the problems of life to learn how to solve them to learn how to confront them how to be able to uh, embrace this scenario of suffering so what's the first thing you do you escape just like an alcoholic what do you think makes an alcoholic or a heroin addict go to his drug or his choice of addiction it's when he can't sit there to stand to think of his life if you ask many of these people who are addicted to these things they're addicted because they're trying to escape their life in some way shape or form some of them may have been abused. Some of them may have gone through some difficulty in their marriage. Some of them maybe are going through um, a difficult situation with money, other one with family, children, some sort of problem. 
if you listen to many of these alcoholics that go and speak about uh, these problems of their life, they always tell you it all started. That's how it always starts. It all started. You're not born an alcoholic. You're not born a heroin addict. You're not born addicted to social media technology. This gets uh, put on you. This this gets um, the propaganda gets shot in your face constantly. So you know you you send these massive text messages out in hopes that you can escape this somebody can speak to you so that you can just forget forget about what many times people don't even know what it is because they're constantly forgetting and, and you don't even want to sit there to think about what it is that you want to forget about this is deep you know this is what uh, technology has done to us because we don't know how to cope with the stress of life we refuse to cope with it so we want to run away as quickly as possible you know and in turn you know this this instant um uh, the social media since since you get that hate you get you find eventually that comment that you want you find you know a, a technology and social media has gotten to the point where uh, there's times when when something will show up on the news and as it shows up on the news, on TV, onto the New York Times uh, website or Time magazine or who knows what, the it, it has already popped up on Facebook with thousands and thousands of views to this point because it just instantaneous. I mean, it's it just goes right in and. This has created a problem because the text message is the same thing. Boom. You want something, you send the text out to whoever. I mean, you have thousands of contacts to choose from to say, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? So it creates this instant gratification within your life. I mean, you want things instantly. Uh, and, and this happens with everybody. Instantaneously, you, you want food, you want it now. You want money, you want it now. You want a job, you want it now. You want a cell phone, you want it now. You talk to your parents, you you, you think about it. if you were young or, or now you're an adult and you used to be young, you wanted a cell phone and you would throw a fit. Why? Because you wanted it now. You want instant gratification now. So um, we see that this is, this is something that social media has begun to do has has begun uh, social media technology has begun to create this instant gratification i mean there's people who go out into society now and you know they go to jobs and sometimes people will quit jobs because you know a few months go by and what happens uh, i know a few guys uh, that work for a big company near where i live that's eb uh, i know a few guys who have worked for uh, the advertising and marketing of Old Navy and for Gap. I know other young men who have gone out to uh, work out for Google um, and they want instant gratification. I mean, if they don't feel like they're making an impact on society, if they don't feel that they're the center of attention, that they're getting the things that they want or that they're not good enough instantaneously, they quit their job and they leave and they go to do something else because they don't want to go through the long, hard process of getting to know the process of, of the work, getting to learn how to be able to use the new media that they've given them 
or to learn uh, the way things work in, in that job or to learn to cope with their new friends. And since they're not getting this instant gratification and for five months they've gone, you know, um, in, into these jobs doing the same thing and because they're not great right away, they quit and they go find what's the next best thing. Mind you, these places that these people that I know that have gone to work there, these are great jobs. I mean, Google, who quits Google? You know, but because they didn't receive instant gratification. Um, I mean, this is crazy, you know, and especially this whole cell phone thing. I mean, if you think of cell phones, if I remember as a child, that my father would have a cell phone. And when he had this cell phone, I mean, very few people. I remember being in middle school. I remember being in early high school. And kids, these young kids didn't even have cell phones. These young adults, these uh, soon-to-be millennials at the time, uh, didn't have no cell phones. You know, and now you see cell phones, it's in everybody's hands. I mean, sometimes I'll see kids who are in second grade with cell phones. I mean, this blows my mind. You're giving a child, you know, think about this. You're giving a child this more or less drug, right? I'm, now, mind you, I'm not telling you that it's a drug. It's a metaphor. I'm giving you an analogy here. I mean, you're giving this kid uh, a drug. I mean, you don't give uh, a young person alcohol and then tell them to drive, you know? You're giving this kid uh, this social media at the palm of his hands. You're giving him text messaging. I mean, you, and some parents have this mentality of, oh, I don't invade my child's privacy. I don't invade his privacy because that's his own thing. I mean, you pay for the cell phone. You pay for the laptop. You got every right. Your own, you own that stuff. You have every right to walk in. And sometimes... And I tell you because I know so many friends that went through this, so many people that have gone through this, and they were doing it. And at the time when I was young, I thought, wow, that's so cool. But they were talking with their girlfriends. I mean, they were talking about dirty stuff, being at 13, 14, 15 years old, things that they shouldn't even know about, 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, text messaging each other about things that you shouldn't even be talking about. And yet you give a child... This, uh, this technology at the palm of his hands to do whatever he wants, to stay up late at night watching whatever he wants to watch, and you don't even know. you know. And even at that, let's say you say, I take away his cell phone at night. Well, guess what? You're not with him the other eight hours of the day or her. They still have this at the palm of their hands doing whatever they want, bullying on social media, I mean, your your child could be bullied, or he, or they could be bullying, or they could just be uh, part of the population that's just watching and giving uh, fuel to the fire of this bully. And I, cell phones is everywhere. I mean, you see everybody with a cell phone. Every single person has, and every single person has gotten into this uh, more or less drug. I mean, people go out uh, to dinner, and me and my wife will sit out at a dinner table, 
And you'll see sometimes somebody will step out and go to the bathroom and immediately, as soon as the other one steps out, boom, one of them gets on to his cell phone and begins texting, social media, Instagram, who knows what, tweeting. I mean, think of that. Think of how much of an addiction that is. That as soon you, it's almost like the person, people are waiting. And many of you have had this experience. You're waiting for that person to get up to be able to check because you don't want to be checking your cell phone while you're talking. Other people don't even care. I mean, we'll be out to dinner and we're looking around and there'll be two people that'll be sitting there, maybe having a date, who knows what. And what are they doing? They're texting right in front of each other. They're on social media right in front of each other. Instead of dialoguing, instead of talking, they're wasting their time just uh, being on this cell phone. Now, mind you, I'm not telling you, I'm not this conspiracy theorist telling everybody, forget about cell phones, forget, drop it, and, and, and live in, go out into the boonies and live in the woods and fall off the face of the earth and get off of the grid. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just trying to wake you up to allow you to dialogue because those two people who, who are on social media or the one guy who's waiting for that person, that girl to get up to go to the bathroom so he can begin texting or on social media or let somebody know, uh, oh, you know, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm on the date with this girl. Things are going great. I mean, why can't he wait? Why can't he or she wait to to get home to send that text message because you need that instant gratification. You need your friend or somebody to say, oh my God, cool, good job. I mean, do you know when some of the greatest minds have thought of some of the greatest inventions and innovations of the world? It was when their, their mind just left and thought aimlessly into the world. When you're just sitting there and you leave your cell phone down and you look at another couple, as me and my wife sometimes may do, and you look over at uh, another person who's maybe lonely or some color that's on the wall or some beautiful painting, and then your mind begins to wander and think of different innovative thoughts that could change the world. You could, you could change society as you know it, but you might never why? Because you're stuck on your cell phone. Because your mind, you did not let your mind wander off to whatever it wanted to think. Whether it be good or bad, you got on your cell phone and you thought whatever society wanted you to think. Because that's what social media is. You go with whatever people think. You go with whatever people do. And you know what? It's true. You, you look over on social media and what's the first thing that uh, you see? You see a picture of maybe a guy or a girl with some selfie of them smiling, happy. And you don't know that deep down inside that person is suffering. You may not know that that person has cancer, that their parents right before they took that picture could have been fighting, could have been the father could have been abusing the mother or the or that girl could have been abused by the father who is an alcoholic or the girlfriend had just broken up with her boyfriend or they just lost their job 
or maybe they went on a date and it went horrible, but they just took that picture with a smile because they want somebody. Think of the psychology behind this. They took that picture because they want somebody. Now, I'm not saying all people think like this or all people do this or every single beautiful picture that gets posted up is for this reason. But it could be that that person just sits up there, takes that picture and just wants somebody to like it, somebody to comment because nobody has paid attention. That date went bad because the guy maybe didn't pay attention. He wanted to leave or the father and the mother are fighting and they're not paying attention to this young millennial. Or maybe this abuse that just happened, they want to seek a, a good attention, not a bad attention. So they, they go out there to seek some sort of affection. But you don't see that. Do you know what you see? You see this beautiful young man, this beautiful young girl, you know, all chiseled out. And you think, damn, they're happy. Look at that smile. And you sitting on the other side of that phone or the other side of that laptop or computer or tablet, you're living the same exact life as they are. So what do you do? You think, I don't want society to think I'm this depressed person. So the first thing you do is, let me post up a picture. And then the cycle starts all over again. I mean, this is what social media is. It's, it's one big lie. Do you know somebody? And if you do, I mean, you need to send them a message or a comment telling them, hey, take that picture down. But do you know somebody who takes a picture of them depressed, of them crying? I mean, that would be a weird picture, wouldn't it? Or an Instagram video or an Instagram picture of them bawling their eyes out? I mean, you, the first thing you would post would be, you loser, you bum. I mean, th these are the things that you would write. So, of course, since nobody wants to show all the depressing things of life or all the sad things of life or the anger. I mean, how often do you see a person saying, I'm angry, so I'm going to take a picture that I'm angry and I'm going to show society that I'm angry. No, that's not the first thing you do. So, you, you say, I want society to know that I'm living a bad, cool, fun who knows what type of life? I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it. You know, and that's just not the way things are. I mean, you, you look at the communication. You, you don't even need to dialogue with a guy no more. You don't have to go through the difficulties of, of, hey, what's up? How are you doing? So who are you? I mean, you don't need to learn how to dialogue. I, I mean, I tell so many people, if you were to take a young gentleman from the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, and bring them into today's society, they could probably pick up girls like nobody's business because they would actually know how to talk. They would be a respectful young gentleman. But nowadays, you have this, these dating apps. Swipe right if you like them, swipe left if you don't, or swipe left, I don't know which way it goes. I've never done none of that, but I hear it all the time, swipe right or left for who knows what, you know? And you swipe right. And if they swiped right too, and you both like each other, boom, you're going on a date. 
No need to dialogue. No need for a pickup line. No need for the sweat. No need for. And this is this is crazy because the way that this relationship starts is is the way that it gets destroyed. You didn't have to work for it. Well, guess what? You don't care if it ends. And you do what you want to do. You enter into this, uh, maybe into sex, and then you leave, and you're out. And no need for you to worry about her feelings because guess what? As easy as it came, as easy as it goes, you know, because I, I tell people when you have to work for something, when I, many college kids now, they go to college and if their parents pay for their college, you know, which is one thing I don't fully agree upon, but we're going to have many subjects to talk about a lot of these things into deeper, deeper thoughts with deeper dialogue with psychologists. But anyways, back to this. If, if, uh, if these college kids, you see that their parents pay for their college tuition, a lot of them will go switching majors. Many of you college kids who are listening, they'll switch majors. Why? Because they're not paying for it. So guess what? I'm going to switch my major. Mom and dad are paying for it. You you don't appreciate what you have in front of you. The cars, many uh, young uh, adults, many college kids, many um, people who their parents pay for these cars, a high majority of them. I forgot what it was. I saw this number on uh, In Time Magazine that showed a stat. And it showed this ridiculous amount of young adults that crashed their cars maybe they didn't destroy them but they crashed them and they didn't care and it was uh it was really uh when the tickets were looked at i guess uh when they did the studies they were uh reckless driving maybe texting maybe they were uh just driving over the speed limit or doing a turn a little bit recklessly and they do it because i didn't pay for it but when you gotta work for that car when you had to work at McDonald's, working a 30-hour week in the middle of your uh, high school or college, well, guess what? That was difficult for you. And the last thing you want to do is crash that car. And the last thing you want to do is burn that car or, or burn the transmission or overheat that motor. So what do you do? You're driving that car the way you're supposed to be driving it, the way that society, the way that the laws tell you how to drive it because you worked your butt off for that car. The same thing with this form of communication nowadays with dating. You didn't have to work for it. You swiped right. She swiped right. You both like each other. You're both going on a date. Guess what? You don't care about that. You want to get in and you want to get out. But when you got to work for something, you know, you really, really, really will appreciate that later on. You know, but this is what society has done to us. This is exactly what um, society has created. Society and an In Time magazine a while back had said the number one cause of depression is uh, Facebook. That's one of the leading causes of depression. I don't think it was the number one cause. I think it might have been one of the leading causes, more or less, something like that. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. But you see this, you know, there's there's a studies that went out that said 
um, that nowadays a lot of young high school kids, college kids, are or college youth adults are missing out, having absent days of school because of depression. I mean, depression was rarely heard of in the 80s and the 70s and especially in the 60s and the 50s. I mean, you did not really hear of depression too much. Now it's everywhere. You know, uh, before, if you had a problem, if you had something going on, I mean, you missed school. It was because somebody died. You had a flu, a fever of a hundred and something, you know. Now you're sad, so you stay home. You know, so uh, this is the youth. This is society. The youth, these young adults that are growing up in this era, this millennial era, I call it. And this is the way that youth are being raised now, nowadays. And if you're one of them, I hope that that, that, that thought process has just skim through your head in a way that you can look over and say damn I gotta change the way I think the way that I am the way that I date hopefully um, my future podcast can open your mind as to how how we should uh, live our life on a daily basis my future podcast are going to include anything from nutrition, maybe ways to lose weight, maybe uh, applied psychology, uh, maybe uh, different restaurants from business to how we spend our money to psychology, who knows what, uh, maybe some theologians. I want to get you to think, to think like you've never thought. That's why my intro, if you hear it, it's a light bulb being screwed in. Many of us don't even have a light bulb in our head, let alone have we turned it on. You know, so my hope is to be able to screw this light bulb in your head and get you to turn it on. Get you to wake up. To have to put a little bit of light into your life so that you can be enlightened a little bit. You can learn, you know. I want to get these adults to start thinking. You know, there's this story uh, that uh, I've always heard, and Neil deGrasse confirmed this story, so you can actually hear him say this. But Neil deGrasse um, uh, confirmed this story for me, which was the story of Christopher Columbus. So Christopher Columbus, as you all know, he discovered the Americas. So Christopher Columbus comes over, and as he comes over, he sees this, uh, um, I think it was Native Americans, Indians, uh, something like that. But he uh, came here, did what he had to do, uh, brought some people over, showed some people the land. So in turn, uh, he's about to leave. And as he's about to leave, I don't know if many of you know, but when somebody would travel over seas from North America to Europe, it's not like it is nowadays that it takes you a few days to cross over this uh huge body of Atlantic Ocean. No, uh, it would take months, 
months for you to cross over. It was a dangerous trip for you to do, especially if you didn't know how to navigate yourself through the stars because they didn't have all these uh, GPS as you know we have now. So most of the people that would navigate, you know, knew and understood so much of astronomy. They, they could, they could uh, see, they could see the stars and navigate themselves and know where they were in the world according to the stars and according to the day. So Christopher Columbus, as he's about to travel over, he notices we don't have any food. We have no way to survive these months from North America's all the way to Europe. We have no way uh, to be able to survive from one side of the water to the other side. So, uh, of course, with these Indians that he had communicated with that he had gotten to know, these Indians had... Uh, now, they would, um, they would plant and they would uh, sow all these uh, seeds into the earth and they would, uh, they would reap the fruits of, of these plants, these vegetables, uh, but they would only plant enough and they would only uh, grow enough food to survive the winter because they never wanted to, because they were so in touch with Mother Earth, they never actually wanted to uh, take away all of the, 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 the proteins, the nutrients of the soil because they wanted to be able to grow for the next, the following year. So... Uh, what they would do is they would only grow enough to be able to survive the winter. So, of course, Christopher Columbus uh, goes to them and he says, Listen, can we have your food to be able to cross over to Europe? So, of course, the chief and the people say, No, we're not going to give you our food because this is the only thing we got. So, why would we give it to you? And so, Christopher Columbus, of course, being an astronomer, he knew the moon would turn a, a bright, bright, bright red in, in that time of, um, in, in that weekend. So he, I think it was 10 days or seven days. So he had told them, uh, you know, in 10 days, he said, if you don't give me all of your food in 10 days, my God will turn this moon red and then he's going to kill He's going to kill all of you because he will be angry. So, of course, the Indians, because they are not of, of intellect, they do not understand astronomy. They have not gained the knowledge that Christopher Columbus has gained. So, what do they do? They laugh about it and they take it as a joke and they say, ha, all right, whatever. So, Christopher Columbus goes and he waits the 10 days. Of course, lo and behold, 10 days later, this moon turns a bright red. And the, the, these Indians, scared, what do they do? They give all of their food to Christopher Columbus. So, of course, there was no God that was going to come down and kill them. But they didn't know that. So, Christopher Columbus got what he wanted. And he knew that what he said was a lie. But the Indians didn't. So once they gave the food, they saw that the moon went away. No God killed them. They thought, we did the right thing. Now, these uh, Indians, if I'm not mistaken, didn't survive this, uh, that winter. Now, my hope to you, I tell you this story because my hope to you is to be able to give you enough knowledge, not so you could be Christopher Columbus, not so you could take 
this intellect and show that you're smarter than somebody show that you're better than somebody uh through these podcasts that are going to pass by not to show that you're more intellectual or you can think deeper than others no my point of this podcast uh, that i'm creating is to be able to enlighten you enough to not allow yourself to be abused by he who has more intellect than you and we'll speak about this uh this concept, this thought of abuse later on, you know, because I have many different thoughts behind this. Uh, but to not let yourself be abused, to not let yourself be taken advantage of by the other person. So you can have enough intellect to protect yourself and those around you. More than anything, knowledge is power. Some people use it for the worst. But my hope is that I can give you the knowledge, the power, so that you can use it for good. You know? Uh, but anyways, back to this whole uh, millennial and, 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 and everything that's happening. You know, this is what my hope is for the millennials, is to be able to give you this knowledge. And for adults, especially the adults, whichever adult that's listening, that you're raising a child at this at this point in time, anybody who's between 35, 40, whatever it is, you know, many of us, uh, I, I used to be one of them that used to look over and say, oh my God, you know, these, all these young kids, all these youth, they're so, guess what? Adults cannot say nothing about these millennials. The reason why these millennials are the way they are you probably haven't thought about this, is because of you. We are the social construct, the society in which we raise these millennials. They are who they are because of us. A child is not uh, born this way. We gave them the tools to become who they are. We, we didn't correct them enough. We didn't stop to dialogue with them enough. We didn't love them enough. We, we raise them in a relationship of hate, of destruction, of get away from me, you know? And, and this is what I'm going to speak about, you know? This is one of the subjects that I am, I feel I have so much knowledge on, is love, love. You know, for two couples to love each other, I mean, if they can learn to love each other, they can give so much more love to a child, but when they they can barely learn to deal with themselves in their relationship, how can they love a child? How can they love a young man who's growing up in the world when they're just dealing with the other spouse or so they quote unquote, they're dealing with them. You know, this is, uh, we are the cause of the way that they are. So it's, it's not their fault, but more than anything, it's our fault. So this is, uh, and this, this all comes down to a big aspect of love. To love these young people, to give them the attention that they need, the affection, to dialogue, to talk with them. I mean, do you talk with your child? I remember speaking with somebody who gave such a great experience and they said, uh, you know, he said, I sometimes go out with my child 
and I take the ball and I throw it at them. And as I'm throwing it at them, I'm thinking to myself, have I done this long enough, you know, to be able to put this checklist off on my day to say, I did what I had to do? You know, it, will my child think my dad has hung out with me? I mean, is this the way that you that you look at your child? Let me do what I let me just uh, fulfill my duties and move on. Because if it is, you're about to raise a monster in society. If you look at a big connection that a lot of these uh, shooters have that are going around shooting different schools, like one of them, uh, a prime example was um, this uh, Newtown shooting. You know, it was the attention, the attention from the mother. You know, you look at all this, these people are seeking attention. A person who's not seeking attention and they just want to just get rid of their life and be done with it, you know, they commit suicide silently somewhere. But people who are seeking attention, they do it in a public way. They want it to be known. And this is, a lot of this is from love. It sounds crazy, but we're, I, I'm going to break down piece by piece, section by section, how love affects your whole life, affects the people around you, affects the way you think. How, how we take love and we have misconstrued the thought of love. You know, we live in a society where love is, is, is attention. Give me attention. Give me attention. You know, and this is why parents and, and spouses, you know, they divorce, they get separated, they don't give attention to the child. You know, how many times do you hear this from mothers and fathers? Nobody listens to me. Nobody cares what I think. I do something, you know, because love has been misconstrued. We think that love is uh, attention for me. If you look at what love was before the 1900s, before the 50s, love was to give your life for the other. That when a husband comes home tired from working 40 hours during the week and the wife knows that he's just done for or 50 or 60 hours during the week and the wife knows that he can't do no more and yet he gets up and he does the laundry and he does the dishes and he gives his life for that wife that's love, you know? What, what greater act of love is there than when somebody gives their life? Think about it. What do you love more than anything in this world? More than a cell phone, more than money, more than your TV, more than your car, more than your house. What do you love more than anything? Your own life. And when you're willing to give the thing that you love most for the person that you care for, that's the act of love. But we don't have this now in our society. And, and this is why, uh, this is a deeper aspect that I'm gonna be speaking about, you know, in these future podcasts, is romance, is love, you know? Romance has been so misconstrued now. And, and I blame it all on Shakespeare. I know it sounds, might sound a little bit funny to you, but Shakespeare's got so much fault on this. 
every everything up until around Shakespeare's time was what? You know, love was more or less thought of this way. And Shakespeare comes and says, he does this thought of being, you know, taking your your uh, flowers and these poems and these these this action of love. And what is this? This isn't love. I mean, he does he does the most selfish thing. He makes it look like he died. You know, he takes this this thing that's a poison that's going to make him look as if he dies and he doesn't. He does a fake act of love because he still cares more for his life than Juliet's life. You know, and and so of course society goes around and 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 everything think about it propaganda is shot so much in your face when there's songs this taylor swift song of you know romeo kiss juliet you know this is you hear this that that metaphor heard so much in 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 our time nowadays is romeo and juliet romeo and juliet you know i've i was raised as a, as a young man in this society and I was abused as a child. And for me, this abuse is, uh, I, I went around with this anger in my life. And because of having this anger in my life, I went around looking for, um, for where could I find love? Because I did not know where to find it. Where can I find happiness? That's what I was looking for. Was I just wanted to be happy. I just wanted to forget whatever it was. And at the time, it was MySpace, you know. I wanted to get on MySpace and have somebody give me the attention that I wanted to have. I just wanted to be happy. I, 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 I got a job. I got the car that I always wanted. I had the job that I wanted. I had the clothes. And still, nothing made me happy. My hope is to be able to take all this experience of my life and be able to share it with you in a way that maybe you've never, ever, ever heard it before. Give you knowledge to be able to seek true happiness. And guess what? You might never, ever, ever come to believe where true happiness might come from. I mean, so... This is my podcast. This is food for thought. I hope that I've made you think so hard. So I'm signing out. This is Juan. And I bet you would have never thought, but I'm a Christian. So that's what I'll sign out with always. God bless.